0: Hello and welcome to Reality Bites, episode 123.
1: Now with more space.
0: For the week of December 9th, 2014, this is Cure Studios production. We are your host, Lauren Law
1: and Rob uh, bringing the expansiveness of the universe into your grasp.
0: If you'd like to sponsor this show or any other show made at Cure Studios, you can click on the donation button found at the Keir- at the top of the Cure Studios page. Again, thank you for sponsoring our show. Now it's time for a bit of banter, which may be a little bit painful because you are cutting out like a mofo, my friend.
1: That's unfortunate. Uh, The only thing I have left to close is the stories I'm going to read.
0: I don't assume Uh, that they would be doing too much drainage on you right now. It must be something else. There must be some system, uh, a PlayStation on the internet or something like that. No? Nope. Or it could just be a horrible connection right now.
1: It is a horrible, horrible connection, which I always have. Yeah, well, like, I'll drop down to like, like one at a time, so it's probably a horrible connection.
0: Well, right. Most of the time now, I, I can hear you clearly, so at least we have that going for us. Yeah. Well, sir, it has been a week since we've done a show. And I believe I may not have spoken with you since. I know you've spoken with Detective Number 9 because you play games. Yes. So what have you been up to in the time since last?
1: Um, I did play a little bit of Battle Block Theater with Detective 9, and that's out on the YouTube channel. Just search uh, Rofax and channel, and I gave it its own little playlist. Uh, so we're going to put a couple of those out. One's already out. That was fun. And then I've been playing a lot of... Uh, um, Borderlands, because I actually really like that game. I'm playing as the sniper, so if uh, I ever play with you, Lore, and maybe Detective 9, if if it goes on a really awesomely great scale, sale again, I'm going to have to break down and play as somebody who's not a sniper, because I know you prefer the sniper class. But there's that turret guy, because I think we'd probably play Borderlands 2, and I could be that turret guy. That'd be okay. But man, hmm. I really love the Sniper Guy in Indeed. Borderlands.
0: Now, yeah, my, that, that one is a lot of fun. I'm going to
1: say something about Borderlands 1 Sniper Guy, who I absolutely love. Okay, he's got the Bloodwing, and I love that feature. They yeah. made it way overpowered. Uh, way overpowered.
0: Depends on how you level it up, yeah. But, like, I don't know how That's far the you are. Thing. I don't know how far you are, but it does come in quite handy, because yeah. the battles do get a lot more difficult.
1: Yeah. Well, I've already got it, so he's stealing, like, the maximum amount of health, which means every time he steals health, I get full health, and he's attacking five people at once. Ooh, nice. Which is actually... All, I put all my skills into the Bloodwing, because I love the Bloodwing. And, you know, actually, I'm to a level now that he doesn't feel so overpowered, because he's not, kill, he's not like, one-hit killing people. Um, But, yeah, I love that game, and just... There's a special kind of joy that you can only feel when (laughs) you um, one-shot some enemy through a sniper. It's just cooler than just shooting them slowly until they die. Just like one-shotting somebody with a sniper and watching their head blow off. That's just like awesomely amazing. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. Oh, uh, this is something else new too. I went ahead and bought a new mouse because I've been using the mouse that came with my computer for years and it's fine. But I bought a mouse and um had a button on the side like where your thumb goes. It's actually got three, but uh, only two of them are really like conveniently located. The third one isn't too bad. But um I set the melee attack to one of the buttons and the throw grenade attack to the other button because those were currently binded to V and G which are really kinda hard to reach. But man, that makes it so much better. Someone gets close, and you just hit the side of your mouth and the side of your mouse, and then you punch them. I mean, the brilliant. Whoever thought your thumb is not being utilized on a mouse ever? Let's put a button there. Was a genius.
0: And this is why I prefer using a computer over a console. Well, because you can have Borderlands for the console, and I've played it. Uh and it was fine i just i i I feel like i have more accuracy with the mouse
1: this is what i'm gonna say i think i'm agreeing actually I, i think i'm agreeing with you i would prefer a controller because the melee button and the grenade button are just not very accessible on the computer but You lose so much accuracy when you move to a controller as opposed to the mouse. Any shooting game in the world is going to be be better. You know, Assassin's Creed, now you're probably better on a controller. But any shooting game in the world is going to be better with a mouse. And take that times 10 if you're playing a sniper class. Because your controller will never be as accurate as a mouse. And I think they did a study. I don't remember the numbers. You can look it up on... Some Microsoft game. I uh, think it was like Call, Call of, of Duty, Duty maybe? Yeah. And and they threw everybody in the same for multiplayer. People on the Xbox and people on the computer. But pretty soon they realized, like, people on the computer were making 80% of the kills. And the other people, you know, the console players were getting slaughtered. Because the mouse is just more sensitive. And it was such a problem, they separated it. So computer and and... Uh, Xbox players couldn't play together because it's just so unfair for the people on console. So, I mean, that just kind of goes to show a mouse is way, way more accurate. Uh, so, yeah, I have moved almost exclusively to computer games. I have to fin- finish Final Fantasy 10 on the console because that's where I started it. And there's a few other Final Fantasies that I don't know for sure are on the computer. But, uh, yeah, I've really move pretty heavily to a computer. Because you know what's great about a computer? I am personally using Microsoft for my gaming stuff, except my Minecraft server, which is running on Crunchbang. Since Microsoft makes Xbox, the Xbox controller, you just plug it in and it works. So even if it's a game like um, Assassin's Creed or Dark Souls, which is horrible on the keyboard, and I tried, uh, you can just plug in the controller so you have the advantage of the controller when you want it, but the mouse when you don't want it. And for shooters, the mouse is so much better. Uh, so I've been having a lot of fun with that. See, and I've been working you've on joined a- the a-
0: computer thing. master race.
1: I have. <laughs> I, I have. It took a long time, and I don't hate consoles, but I have to admit, it's going to be really... W- I'm a PlayStation fan, uh, classically. But it's going to be really, really, really hard to convince me to buy the PlayStation 4 now Mm -hmm. because I've just moved so much to computers. The only thing I could see doing it is their Project Morpheus, if that goes really well, and the Oculus Rift, which was bought by Facebook, goes really poorly because I am intrigued by virtual reality.
0: See, I would say the classical, classic, uh, console games I wouldn't want to play them with a keyboard and mouse
1: Ex- yes absolutely
0: I would not want to play Mario Brothers or Zelda or anything like that the old ones at least on a computer that would just be silly the it, it's it's made for the controller however the further up you go the more 3d it is the more likely I want a mouse like right. I, I can imagine playing Zelda with a mouse and It would have been so much easier in certain places. But then again, I've been a computer guy for a long time.
1: Something I've noticed is um, I was playing Final Fantasy on an emulator on Linux uh, because it actually worked really well. And uh, you can buy the old Super Nintendo controllers Yes, uh, like USB Super Nintendo controller. So I just plugged that in and I had the original Super Nintendo controller to control it with and it's pretty easy to uh, install and all of that stuff. So even with the computers, because even today certain games are better with controllers and the only one I can really think of is Assassin's Creed and Dark Souls because you're jumping around a lot and it's not so much about accuracy as it is about speed. But the thing is no matter what controller you want to use you can just plug it into your computer and make it work. So even the few games out there that are better with controller and they're getting, you're right, they're getting more and more rare you can still play them on the computer but you can't do the reverse. You can never hook up a mouse your Xbox. Well you can but it'd be awkward and I don't want to do it. So it's just uh, games are so much better on the computer and not just Minecraft anymore. Yeah, That's what I've been doing. Okay.
0: Uh, I'm trying to think what I did. I've watched a few movies. Uh, So I'm going to pick one. And I think you would enjoy this. It's a very... It looks fine. The movie's fine itself. But what I'm going to say is going to sound like it isn't. It's very cheaply done. It is set basically in some guy's log cabin that he's moving out of to move somewhere else. And his colleagues all come up and say goodbye and are seeing them off. The The movie itself is called The Man from Earth, and this guy starts out by telling them, I'm actually 4,000 years old. I'm really old. I, I've never aged. I just keep moving every about 10 years because people start to notice that I don't age. I change my name and I move on. And... The conversation between them as he tries to convince him that he is telling the truth is very interesting because they bring up very good counterpoints. He's like, well, I don't remember everything. I mean, do you remember what you did last Wednesday? That's, that's kind of like me trying to remember where I was and what was going on. I could try to go back you know, to the places where I think I may have come from, but the landscapes change and all this other stuff. It's very interesting. I highly recommend this film. And it's just... And what was it called? I, I believe it's called The Man From Earth. I can look it up real quick if you want. And maybe I'll send you a link to the IMDb or something. Man From Earth. Man From earth.com? Yeah, it's a 2007 film. Hmm. And yep, there's the IMDb. I, I, you can look it up yourself, people, but I'm just going to send a link. Don't open this link. Rofaxon, because I don't want you to slow down your computer right now, yeah, no, but I'm going horrible. to send you a link. Uh, that didn't work out properly. So I'm going to open something up, and then I'm going to close it really quickly, and then I'm going to highlight this. Don't open this up. You'll see why, but you can see that later if you want to, okay? So anyway, good movie. Uh, I highly suggest uh, people go ahead and give it a watch. Uh, I think I watched it last Friday. It's uh, an interesting film. I I watch uh, several other movies, but for whatever reason, this one stands out in my head, even though it was, you know, very cheap. Uh, Cheaply made, but it looks just as good as anything else you'd want. I mean, what else would you want? There's no flashbacks or cutscenes like that. He's just explaining these things, and it's done in such a convincing way that I really enjoyed it. I mean, we delve into religion and stuff with it as well. So anyway, uh, that's what I've done, and I think we've bantered enough, don't you? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we got a lot of
1: stories, or it feels like a lot of stories because there's just the two of us. Just
0: the two of us. All right, so I'll go first. First news story of the evening. Furry convention disrupted as intentional gas incident sends 19 to the hospital. Furry convention. Anyway. Several thousand people, some dressed as animal characters, were evacuated from the Hyatt Hotel in suburban Rosemont when an intentional chlorine gas incident at the hotel, which was hosting the Midwest FurFest convention, sent 19 people to the hospital early Sunday. The incident happened around 12.40 a.m. at the Hyatt, uh, according to a statement from the Rosemont Public Safety Department. First responders were called to investigate the noxious odor that was spreading across the ninth floor of the hotel, where a high level of chlorine gas was discovered in the air. 19 people were transported to the hospital, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Disrupted was an annual week-long convention called Midwest Fur Fest, which celebrates art, literature, and performances based around anthropomorphic animals. Sorry, for whatever reason, I was having a hard time there. Uh, And it draws thousands of people every year, according to the Midwest Fur Fest website. Hazardous materials technicians found the source of the chlorine gas, what appeared to be powdered chlorine, in a stairwell on the the ninth floor, according to the statement from the police. Blah, 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 blah. Evacuation. Near the hotel. Trying to see if they see anybody. A lot of people thought this was just someone pulling the fire alarm, and people didn't think it was serious. Uh, They were saying it's shocking. But we don't see that anyone was uh you know, apprehended for this. So what do you think? Was it appropriate for someone to attack the furries?
1: Well, obviously no. They're not <laughs> burning anybody. If you think it's weird or not, just let them have their little festival. But I would totally believe. I would be surprised if it wasn't the case. That some like crazy person who thought that for some reason being a furry was wrong and sinful. Put that there to, you know, protest, ruin their evening, whatever. Because, you know, somebody was offended because what they're doing is weird and made them uncomfortable. It's unfortunate they didn't catch the guy I suppose. Um, But it it sounds pretty much like it was obviously intentional. It's not like someone would have dropped some powdered chlorine and not noticed. Right. So I don't know. It's unfortunate, you know, let people do their own thing, right?
0: That's what I would say. Then again, there's a lot of hatred for these people for whatever reason. They think they're creepy and, and whatnot, and that's fine. You can think that, but don't attack yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, okay, free speech. You, free speech. You can say whatever you want, but that uh, stops when you try to kill them, I guess, or attack them physically. Yeah.
1: Right, exactly. And I don't know if you're a weirdo and you want to stand outside with signs that say furries are going to hell. You have every right to do that. And if we were reading that story, I wouldn't say that what they did was wrong. I'd just be like, well, you know, be a little more tolerant, but whatever, you have the right to do it. But yeah, no, you can never threaten to harm somebody just because you disagree with what they do. Um, But I do think furries are an obvious target because they're almost universally thought of as weird but yeah you can't do that you can't just attack people because you think they're weird just get over it
0: all right i guess it's time for the next news story rofaxon
1: give us a hit dark matter could be seen in gps time glitches uh (laughs) gps has a new job it does a great job of telling us our location but the network of hyper-accurate clocks in space could get a fix on something far more elusive, dark matter. Dark matter makes up 80% of the universe's matter, but scarcely interacts with ordinary matter. A novel particle is the most popular candidate by Andre Deravanko at the University of Nevada, Reno, and Max, Maxim Pospelov at the Perimeter Institute in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada proposed that kinks or cracks in the quantum field that permutate the universe could be the culprit. If they are right, fundamental properties such as the mass of an electron or the strength of electromagnetic electromagnetic fields would change at the kinks. The effect is essentially locally modifying fundamental constants, Derevinko says. Clocks would be effective too, measuring time slightly different as a result. That's where GPS comes in. The network of satellites is about 50,000 kilometers in diameter and is traveling through space along with the entire solar system at about 300 kilometers a second. So any time shift when the solar system passes through a cosmic kink will take a maximum of 170 seconds to move across the network. Other things could perturb a GPS timekeeping, but only a signal from dark matter would have the signature, says Dear and and Postbelov. Derivanko is already mining 15 years' worth of GPS time data for dark matter fingerprints. If he doesn't find anything, he plans to continue the search using Network for European Accurate Time and Frequency Transfers, a network of ground-based atomic clocks that is under construction in Europe. Each of these clocks is far more sensitive than a satellite clock. Um... I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing. It goes on and talks about some other stuff. I think this is kind of exciting because I feel like for a very long time the whole dark matter makes up most of the universe but we can't see it was not really a very good explanation. But this seems to be an attempt to actually scientifically identify dark matter and have an actual proof that it exists And I have never bought the dark matter, dark energy theory. It's like, okay, it would make your theories work. But to me, it seems more like maybe you should fix your theories so they work without this made-up thing. But this is actually detecting dark matter. And when we can detect dark matter, then I will believe it. So I think this could be a huge step in that goal.
0: Right, because to me, it was always like, oh... Is this the new ether of space? Because right. ether, ether exactly. was a proposed thing for what space was made up of, but
1: it and it was turned it was, out inaccurate. It was very similar to dark matter. Is like by its nature, it cannot be detected. And for a long time, I feel like there was a by its nature, it can't be detected, but our math doesn't work, so it's dark matter. You know, kind of this ad hoc hypothesis. That was not really very convincing, but this is actually detecting it. When we detect it, then we can call it scientifically valid, and there's there's been a couple attempts to do this, and this GPS time glitch is just another interesting way of doing that. So it won't necessarily change the scientific community's view of dark matter, because they've kind of bought into it, but it will definitely change my view of dark matter and give me a little more confidence in it.
0: Agreed all right moving on to the next news story because that's what we do here this is a news story brought to my attention from Rofaxon. why thank you good sir it is we're running out of nuclear fuel that powers space travel okay that's nice so what do we say here rosetta's lander lasted just about 60 hours on a comet after it bounced into the dark shadow of a cliff where its solar panels couldn't power the vehicle. Why didn't it carry more reliable power source? As a nuclear battery say a nuclear battery like that's like one that's unfailingly fuel Voyager for decades? It's a simple question with a fascinating answer, one that begins with the Cold War and ends with the future space exploration. When it comes To space travel, Plutonium-238 is the perfect fuel, long-lasting and, as I'll explain later, relatively safe. Without it, we have no hope of going much further than Mars, after which it simply becomes too dark to rely on solar panels, the most common alternative power source in space. But the world is rapidly running out of Plutonium-238 because we've stopped making nuclear weapons. Plutonium-238, you see, is a byproduct of producing plutonium-239, better known as the main ingredient in nuclear weapons. During the Cold War, that birthed the space race. This was a rather convenient fact. The Savannah River site in South Carolina that made plutonium-239 for bombs also turned out plutonium-238 for satellites and space probes. After Savannah River shut down in the 1980s, NASA began buying plutonium-238 from Russia. NASA has sent sent, sense pellets of plutonium-238 on the two Voyager spacecraft, the Curiosity rover on Mars, and several other space probes exploring the dark outer reaches of our solar system. Plutonium-238 also happens to be the perfect fuel for spacecraft, although highly radioactive, the kind of radiation it emits does not easily penetrate through other materials, making it safe. Wrapped in an iridium metal, pellets of plutonium-238 glow red-hot, giving off plenty of heat. As long as these pellets don't crack, radiation is not a concern. The pellets are placed in radio... stu... radioisotopic thermoelectric generators, sorry, which turn the heat into electricity. It can last years, even decades, in the case of Voyager now exploring interstellar space. Back on Earth, however, our plutonium-238, which I'm going to keep repeating because it's in the story, supply is running out. According to a recent article in Nature, NASA has only 35 kilograms, or about 77 pounds, of plutonium-238 left, left in its aging stockpile, less than half of which is up to grade to use as a fuel. The next Mars mission launched in 2020 will use up 11 pounds of it. Russia is no longer sellin- selling plutonium-238, possibly because they too have run out or are running out. The isotope doesn't occur naturally. No one else on Earth has plutonium-238. But there is a plan now. In 2013, NASA began paying the Department of Energy $50 million a year to develop a program to make plutonium-238 again. With the facilities that once manufactured and handled the waste long shut down, it will not be easy. And it will be slow. Even if everything goes according to plan, the DOE... We'll be making 1.1 kilograms, about 2.4 pounds, of plutonium-238 by 2021. The production plan, for now, involves hopping between no fewer than three DOE labs all over the country. Uh, Two near cross-country trips later, we finally have plutonium-238 that is ready to use. For more technical details, oh, let's not do that one. There are also plans to turn Idaho into a second facility for readying neptonium 237 though the exact procedure for how to do that are still to be worked out.
1: so let's let's talk about the cool part first they're okay. making more rocket fuel neat awesome good now let's talk about the I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of part we know this plutonium plutonium 238 is a byproduct of making nuclear bombs and they're making it again, implying that they're making nuclear bombs so they can have the byproduct. Is is that concerning?
0: Well, I mean, you I, could I you could take it that way, but you could I also just, take it that they may be doing it in such a way where we we're not get we're not getting two thirty nine.
1: I yeah, I don't know the science, and I also don't think this article elucidated that you know. Are they making nuclear bombs again? Because, certainly, we need rocket fuel would be a nice excuse to do that. And it's not like we don't have any nukes sitting around anyway. True. I'm just wondering, are we upping our nuclear bomb making again? Is it starting that process again?
0: You never know. The space race was, you know, because of the Cold War. Right. The stockpiling of nukes on both sides you know, seems to have helped us get into space even further, so maybe we're going to have another Cold War!
1: Well, you never know, but I don't know if there's any subtext that we should read in this article. It is ironic, though, that um, humanity basically starting the first steps to completely destroy ourselves as a byproduct of us getting off this planet and propagating ourselves throughout the universe as a species. It's just a beautiful piece of irony there. <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to mention that it's cool that we're making rocket fuel, but I, I'm not sure if this article is saying we're making nukes again.
0: Well, huh. I don't know. So I guess we got to move on, Rofaxon. What's your next news story?
1: Okay, DNI, DNI, DNA survives critical entry into Earth's atmosphere. Blah blah blah. The genetic material DNA can survive flight through space and re entry into the Earth's atmosphere and still pass on genetic information. Scientists obtained these astonishing results during an experiment on the Texas 49 research rocket mission. Um, that's pretty much all this article's gonna say. Blah blah blah. A team has obtained these. Uh, okay, but. Applied to the outer shell of the payload, sections of a rocket using pipettes, small double-stranded DNA molecules, flew in space from Earth and back again. After the launch, re-entry into Earth's atmosphere and landed, the so-called plasmid DNA molecules were still found on all the application points on the rockets from the Texas 49 mission, and this was not the only surprise. For the most part, the DNA salvaged was even still able to transfer genetic information to bacterial and connective tissue surface. The study provides experimental evidence that the DNA's genetic information is essentially capable of surviving the extreme conditions of space and re-entry into Earth's dense atmosphere, says study head Professor Oliver Ulrich from the University of Zurich's Institute of Anatomy. Uh, the experiment, called DARE DNA Atmospheric Reentry Experiment, resulted from a spontaneous idea. UZH science Dr. Cora Thiel and Professor Euler were conducting experiments on the Texas 49 mission to study the role of gravity in the regulation of gene expression in human cells using remote-controlled hardware inside the rocket's payload. During the mission preparation, operation, they began to wonder whether the rocket's, wait, during the mission, oh, they began to wonder whether the outer structure of the rocket might also be suitable for stability tests on so-called signatures. Biosignatures are molecules that can provide the existence of past or present extraterrestrial life, explains Dr. Thiel. And so the two UZH research launched a small second mission at the European rocket station Esrange in Kiruna, north of the Arctic Circle. DNA survives the most extreme conditions. The quickly conceived additional experiment was originally supposed to be a pretest to check the stability of biomarkers during space cra- spaceflight and re-entry into the atmosphere. Dr. Thiel did not expect the results it produced. We were completely surprised to find so much intact and functionally active DNA. The study reveals that genetic information from DNA can essentially withstand the most extreme conditions. Various scientists believe that DNA could certainly reach us from outer space as Earth is not insulated in extraterrestrial material made of dust and meteorites, for instance, around 100 tons of which hit hit our planet every day. The extraordinary stability of DNA under space condition also needs to be factored into the interpretation of results and the search for extraterrestrial life. The results show that it is by no means unlikely that, despite all of the safety precautions, spaceships could also carry terrestrial DNA to their landing sites. We need to have this under control in the search for extraterrestrial life, points out Ulrich. I thought this was cool because it Yeah because it means that we panspermia. all came from space.
0: panspermia.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it does show that it's theoretically possible for DNA from one planet to survive the trip through space and hit our planet. And yeah, you know, a you know, little far-fetched, but maybe actually start life here.
0: And life may not have not have started on Earth. Maybe it started right, on exactly. Mars, or maybe it started on Venus, or maybe it did start on Earth. And what we're finding on Mars is from a collision early on with Earth.
1: Right. Or maybe it started from another planet that shot DNA rocks just hoping that they'd land on a planet that is suitable for life. We should do that. That makes perfect sense. (laughs) Shoot it into the galaxy. It will survive and it will make life and then we'll go see it one of these days. I thought that was neat. It's amazing how um, hardy DNA can be. That's uh, the irony of life. It's like really hardy and really fragile at the same time, it seems.
0: Alright, I suppose I'll move on to next new story. Speaking of rocks filled with DNA, let's talk about other types of rocks. Rock, space rock, sheds light on mysterious mineral on Earth. A rock from space is giving scientists the first glimpse of a mineral long thought to be the most abundant mi- mineral on Earth but which researchers lack a natural sample of until now this discovery could shed light on the structure and dynamics of the inner earth as well as the early history of the solar system according to a new paper the search for this mineral in meteorites has been going on for decades it was part or it was just a matter of t- finding the right method for detecting it the mineral is a high density version of magnesium iron silicate It is the most abundant mineral on Earth and makes up about 38% of the planet's volume. But it's only stable at very high pressures and temperatures. So for decades, researchers only had seen lab-generated versions of it. Under the heat and pressure found in the Earth's lower mantle, which extends from about 410 to 1615 miles below the planet's surface, magnesium silicate can form what is called... Provskite structures, I may be saying that wrong and I do apologize, which can be imagined as an array of double pyramids that are joined at their corners. The centers of each pyramids are made of silicon. The apexes and corners are made of oxygen, and magnesium and iron reside in the spaces between each double pyramid. But scientists had not discovered a naturally occurring version of this mineral until now. The mineral would not survive the long journey from the low lower mantle to Earth's surface because it would readily transform into lower-density minerals. The fact that scientists had not found any specimens of magnesium, iron, silicate uh, in nature also meant it could not get an official mineral name from the International Mineralogical Association. This presented geologists with the odd situation of a nameless mineral being the most abundant one on Earth. Since researchers could not find a naturally occurring version. They instead looked to space. They hypothesized that high speed cosmic impacts could generate the pressures and temperatures needed to create this mineral, and samples of it could then come to Earth as meteorites knocked off their parent asteroid or planet. Recently, uh, colleagues carefully isolated magnesium iron silicate in a meteorite. The mineral was given, the mineral was given, has the official name Bergmetnite after the father of the high-pressure experiment, Nobel laureate Percy Bergman, according to the report. The researchers analyzed a Tinham meteorite, a rock that was part of a meteor shower that rained down on Australia in the spring of the night or in 1879. This meteorite bore signs that it was part of an asteroid that experienced a great impact. The stone also pressed, possessed minerals called akimototites and ringwoodite, which are similar in comp- composition and origin to Bridgmanite. Wow. Science papers. Fun times. Uh, basically it ends here but I say th- this is very interesting like they had this theory and, and it made logical sense and yet we've never had a sample of it. But now we kind of have gotten some of these samples based upon these impacts Yeah. that the amazing. earth is made up of mostly this mineral that we can't see because it's under high pressure.
1: Fascinating. Yeah. That yeah. was just sort of a neat one. Alright. Blow our minds away with the next one, sir. Alright. This one's interesting. I don't know how much time we want to spend on it, so, Lore, if I go too long, stop. As me.
0: much time as you want. I don't care.
1: Alright. Uh, 10 reasons our universe might actually be virtual reality. Reality. Physical realism is the view that the physical world we see is real and exists by itself alone. Most people think this is self-evidence, but physical realism has been struggling with the facts of physics for some time now. The paradoxes that baffle physics last century still baffle it today. And it's great hope of string theory and supersymmetry aren't leading anywhere. In contrast, quantum theory works, but quantum waves that entangle, superpose, then collapse to a point are physically impossible. They must be imaginary. So for the first time in history, a theory of what doesn't exist is successfully predicting what does. But how can the unreal predict the real? Quantum realism is the opposite view, that the quantum world is real and is creating the physical world as a virtual reality. Quantum mechanics thus predicts physical mechanics because it causes them. Physicists saying that quantum states don't exist is like the Wizard of Oz telling Dorothy, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Quantum realism isn't the matrix where the other world making ours was also physical, nor is it a brain in a vat idea as the virtue the virtuality was in play long before humans came along. Nor is it that a phantom otherworld modifies ours as physical world as, oh wait, hold on. Nor is it that a phantom otherworld modifies ours. Our physical world is the phantom. In physical realism, the quantum world is impossible, but in quantum realism, the physical world is impossible, unless it is a virtual reality, as these examples demonstrate. Um, I'm going to go over some of these examples. It's just, this is a really weird and cool idea. Five, our universe has a maximum speed. Physical realism, Einstein deduced that nothing goes faster than light in a vacuum from how our world behaves. And this has subsequently been considered a universal concept constant, but it isn't clear why this is the case. Currently, the speed of light is a constant because it just is, and because light is not made up of anything simpler. To answer why can't things go faster and faster with because they can't is hardly satisfactory. Light slows down in water or glass, and when it moves in water, we say the medium is water. And when when it moves in glass, we say the medium is glass. But when it moves in empty space, we fall silent. How can a wave vibrate nothing? There is no physical basis for light to move in an empty space at all, let alone define the fastest speed possible. Quantum realism: if the physical world is a virtual reality, it is the product of information processing. Information is defined as a choice from a finite set, so the processing changes. Change, so the process changing it must also be infinite, and indeed our world does refresh at an infinite rate. A supercomputer processor refreshes. 10 quadrillion times a second. And our universe refreshes a trillion, trillion times faster than that, but the principle is the same. As a screen image has pixels and a refresh rate, so our world has a Planck length and a Planck time. In this scenario, the speed of light is the fastest because the network can't transmit anything faster than one pixel per cycle, i.e. Planck length divided by Planck time, or about 300,000 kilometers per second. The speed of light should really have been called the speed of space. Our time is malleable. Physical realism. In Einstein's twin paradox, one twin traveling in a rocket nearly the speed of light returns a year later to find his twin brother, an old man of 80. Neither twin knew their time ran differently, and neither lost a heartbeat, but one's life is nearly over and the other is just starting. That seems impossible in an objective reality but time really does slow down for particles and accelerators. In the 1970s, scientists flew atomic clocks on aircrafts around the world to prove prove they ticked slower than synchronized ones on the ground. But how can time, the arbitrator of all change itself, be subject to change? Quantum realism. A virtual reality would be subject to virtual time where each processing cycle is one tick. Every gamer knows that when the computer is busy, the screen lags. Game time slows down under load. Likewise, time in our world slows down with speed or near-massive bodies suggesting that it is virtual. So the Rocket Twin would only age a year because that was all the processing cycles the system busy moving him could spare. What changed was his virtual time. Wow. Space. Sorry, that's,
0: that's kind of cool as a thought process. I'm not sure if I'm taken with it, but that is yeah. a very interesting concept.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Do you want me to stop here or keep going?
0: Uh, unless you have something to say, continue on.
1: Okay. Uh, let's see. Our space curves. Physical realism. According to Einstein's theory of relativity, the sun keeps the earth in orbit by curving space around it. But how can space itself curve? Space, by definition, is that in which movement occurs. So for space to curve, it has to exist in another space, which is an infinite regression. If matter exists in space of nothing, where that nothing to move or curve is impossible. Quantum realism. An idle computer isn't really idle, but busy running a null program, and our space could be the same. In the Casimir effect, the vacuum of space exerts pressure on two flat planes close together. Current physics say that virtual particles pop out of nowhere to cause this. But in quantum realism, empty space is full of processing that would have the same effect. And space as a processing network can present a three-dimensional surface capable of curving. Dark energy and dark matter. Physical realism. Now this one from the last story uh, may or may not change in the future. Current physics describe the matter we see, but the universe also has five times as much of something called dark matter. It can be detected as a halo around the black hole at the center of our galaxy that binds its stars together more tightly than their gravity allows. It isn't the matter we see as no light can be detected. It isn't antimatter as it has no gamma ray signature, and and it isn't a black hole as there are no gravitational lensing, but without it, the stars of our galaxy would fly apart in chaos. No known particle explains dark matter. Hypothetical particles known as weakly interacting massive particle, WIMPs, have been proposed, but none have been found despite talk of super WIMPs. In addition, 70% of the universe is dark energy, and physics can't explain that either. Dark energy is a sort of negative gravity, a weak effect spread through space that pushes things apart, thereby increasing the universe's expansion. It hasn't changed much over time, but something floating in in an expanding space should gradually weaken. If it were a property of space, then it should increase as space expands. Currently, no one has any idea what it is. Quantum realism. If empty space is a null processing, then it... Wait. If empty space is null processing, then it is not nothing. And if it is expanding, then new space is being added all the time. New processing points, by definition, receive input but output nothing in their first cycle, so they absorb but don't emit. Exactly like the negative effect we call dark energy. If new space adds at steady rate, the effect won't change much over time. So dark energy is caused by the ongoing creation of space. The model also attributes dark matter to light in orbit around the black hole. It has a halo because light too because light too close to the black hole. Is pulled into it, and light too far away from it can escape the order. Orbit. Quantum realism expects that no particle will ever be found to explain dark energy and dark matter. Question. And finally, yes.
0: Okay. I, I just it's it's a weird thought. So on the quantum level, until we look at it, it it doesn't become anything. Is that correct? It, it's a it's a it's a chance of whatever it would be.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think the next one might get into that.
0: Well, also, well, we're growing our ability to view the universe as we perceive it. Right. Would that not mean more processing power would be needed each time we can glance out further and further? So then, in that case, dark matter would need to exist as we continue to look out. Does that make sense to what he was saying?
1: Maybe. Well, I think, I think that makes sense. But this particular one, I think he's talking about there is always more space being added, which is what creates the dark energy.
0: Right. Like, if you think, I'm thinking maybe it's because we're able to see further, and this is why more space is being added. Otherwise, there's no point to it being added because it wouldn't be processing because we're not looking.
1: Well, I. I will say that my understanding, and this is a very weird thing in general, my understanding is it doesn't matter if we look at it or not. Like they said in the beginning of the article, it does not require necessarily people to look at it, as as in this process was going on before humanity existed, which is what separates it from the brain-in-a-jar type of idealism... Which was popular in what the 19th century or 16th all right. Or whatever.
0: Sorry, I always like going back to that for some reason.
1: Well, that's one of my favorite theories too, which is another really interesting one, I think. But I think this one's kind of neat because it actually makes sense. Because if you imagine, if you imagine the physical reality as virtual reality, that's quote unquote printed out onto some screen and it's constantly expanding you would have to, if you think about it in computer terms, you'd have to add more of those, you know, black pixels that don't necessarily have any thing in them, but they would still need some amount of energy. This is weird. Okay, give us the last one. We have one more. Quantum entanglement. Physical realism, if a If a cesium atom releases two photons in opposite directions... Oh, this is actually one of my favorites. If a cesium atom releases two photons in opposite directions, quantum theory entangles them, so that if one is spinning upwards, the other will spin downwards. But if one is randomly spinning up, how does the other instantly know how to spin down at any distance? To Einstein, the discovery that measuring And this is about measuring. To Einstein, the discovery that measuring one photon spin instantly defines the spin of another anywhere in the universe was spooky actions at a distance. The test of this was one of the most careful experiments ever done, as befits the ultimate test of our reality. And quantum theory was right yet again. Observing one entangled photon causes the other to have the opposite spin even when it was too far away for a signal traveling at the speed of light to connect them. Nature could not conserve spin by making one photon up and the other down from and the other down from at the start, but that is apparently too much trouble, so it lets either spin either way randomly, then when we measure one to be one way it instantly makes the other the opposite even though that is physically impossible. Now, quantum realism, in this view, two photons entangled when their programs merge to jointly run two points. If one program is spin up, the other spin down, their merger runs both pixels wherever they are. A physical event at either pixel resets either program randomly, leaving the remaining opposite spin code to run the other pixel this code reallocation ignores distance as a processor doesn't have to go to a pixel to change it, even for a screen as big as our universe. The standard model of physics involves 61 fundamental particles with data-fitted mass and charge particles. If it were a machine, one would have to handset two dozen knobs just right for it to light up, which I will point out is a often religious, no, it's so complicated, argument. It also needs five invisible fields to spawn 14 virtual particles with 16 different charges to work. You might expect completeness from all this, but the standard model can't explain gravity, proton stability, antimatter, quark charges, neutrino mass or spin, inflation, family generations or quantum randomness, all critical issues. No particle accounts for the dark energy and dark matter that comprises most of the universe and no particle ever will, according to this article. Quantum realism reinterprets the equation of quantum theory in terms of one network and one program. Its premise that the physical world is a processing output doesn't make it fake as there is still a real world out there. It just isn't the one we see. Reverse engineering the physical world suggests that matter evolved from light as a standing quantum wave, so quantum realism predicts that light alone in a vacuum can can collide to create matter. In contrast, the standard model says that photons can't collide, so a definitive test of the virtual reality conjecture is possible. When light alone collides in a vacuum to create matical, matter, the particle model will be replaced by one on information processing. See the fact for common questions. Go here for more details. Blah, blah, blah. Chronicle of Higher Education podcast. So, anyway, I would actually particles suggest hitting each other? I... A little... Okay, a lot undereducated to totally get that.
0: If but, that's the case, I mean, then the universe could have started very interestingly.
1: Yeah. And I I think what they're going there is this is something that can be tested, which is very important. I think it was saying um, quantum realism predicts that a light alone in a vacuum can collide to create matter. And I guess the standard model says photons cannot collide. So I guess that's the question. Can photons collide or not? And if they can that will say something a lot to quantum realism. And I don't know what that means for the beginning of the universe. But it's interesting because we always have this problem with quantum mechanics and the general theory not working together. I mean, they don't. There's there's some contradictions in the two. I mean, they're different theories, but both of them make novel predictions. If it was the case that our entire quote unquote reality was just a virtual program that quantum stuff was running I, I don't think it's I don't think it's inconceivable uh, it's just kind of weird to imagine that everything in the universe is um, run by quantum stuff I the one that really interests me is the quantum entanglement because I've heard of this theory where two particles are quantumly entangled and you won't know the spin of either one but as soon as you observe it you know it's an upspin let's say then the other one immediately goes to the downspin even when they're so far away that light couldn't transmit the signal physically that is a bit of a paradox isn't it light well that and it's it, instantaneous so too it
0: it's faster than light
1: Right, but light is the quote-unquote speed limit of the universe. So how can it be that it's faster than light? That's not possible. But if you think of this quantum thing and you imagine the universe we're living in as a virtual reality, a program doesn't have to go anywhere. It doesn't have to walk over to the pixel and say, hey, pixel, you turn on. It just flips a switch and the pixel turns on. Space is irrelevant. In a computer program, so to imagine that our world is running basically on a computer program that's 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 a really neat idea, and I like these ones that kind of make us question question reality
0: I really enjoyed the uh twin question and the relativity of time
1: yeah that's another thing that just seems so. What's the word? Contrary to reason. That's not the word I'm looking for. But um, it doesn't make sense that you know you put one twin in a rocket ship, then he comes back and he's like way older than the other one. I'm like the same amount of time passed, right? How can time be possible if time is the medium through which everything runs? But the idea of it being like a program, totally. makes sense because many times you know you can have multiple programs running and especially on games if your system starts getting overloaded because you're pushing it more than you normally do time actually slows down you can see time slow down in a computer game when your processor is overworked which I guess it would be if it is reaching the speed of light which is the speed of processing so you've just got like a game running way too fast Game time runs normally for the game. You know, you don't just start dying for no reason, but game time's running really slow for the user, and you can see that so easily for anyone who's run a game that's a little too fast for their computer. I mean, you can see it running too slow, and to think it makes so much sense in quantum realism and so little sense in physical realism, I think this is something that really to be looked into and i I didn't get all of the history are these how popular is this and quote unquote real science i mean i don't know the answer to that but i think the article did a good job of trying to simplify it and make it easy to read and understand but yeah the very idea that everything we see is not actually real it's just a fact and a fact of a quantum program running underneath it is fascinating
0: alright well I guess we'll move on and it looks like we're going to have to do some hyperspeeding here and we have only gone through about half the stories
1: yeah I know it's just that uh, questioning ultimate reality is one of my favorite things to do
0: and the meaning of life anyway um, so I'm going to do a little quickie here scientists predict green energy revolution after incredible new graphene discoveries it talks a little about graphene but it doesn't say the negatives which I wanted to bring up when I, uh, when I was going to read this article basically it's very toxic graphene is very toxic I mean we use toxic things all the time I mean some people's houses are uh, insulated with
1: what is it called asbestos
0: yeah asbestos it's very good But it is toxic. So, interesting. I'll see what we'll do in the future with that. Um, I I like graphene. I like the things that we're able to do with it. I'm just kind of suspicious as to everyone going, oh, it's the best thing ever, but it's actually toxic, and they never mention that.
1: Mm. All right, next. I don't know anything about this story, but hominids adapted to metabolize ethanol long before human-directed fermentation uh let's just read the abstract paleogenetics is an emerging field that resurrects ancestral proteins from now extinct organisms to test in the laboratory models of protein function based on natural history and darwinian evolution here we resurrect digestive alcohol dehydrogenase adh4 from our primate primate ancestors, to explore the history of primate ethanol interactions, the evolving catalyst properties of these resurrected enzymes show that our ape ancestors gained a digestive dehydrogenase enzyme capable of metabolizing ethanol near the time that they began using the forest floor about 10, minute, 10 million years ago. The I think ADH4, that's enough. Okay.
0: Honestly, but I find that fascinating that this is before we were ever fermenting purposefully, which I'm pretty sure we knew that we we, we did, but the the time span, that's, that's so crazy. So it's saying
1: that super old human ancestors could drink alcohol. Yes. Even though we weren't making it. Yes. That's weird. I, is that why we made it? Or is that why we were able to drink it? Or I don't I, know
0: it's which came first it's interesting
1: you know yeah it's interesting where else would they get alcohol though i wonder
0: well fermenting plants i mean uh I animals do that now
1: that's true yeah everyone drink more that's the moral of the story okay move on
0: all right Hey, let's chalk one up for the Satanists again. Florida agrees that Satanists must have equal representation in the Capitol. The Satanic Temple scored a free speech victory in its quest for equal representation among the Florida State Capitol building's religious-themed holiday displays. I love them guys. They have a sense of humor, and they will just do it. Because they're like, hey, look how foolish you're being. Let us put our foolish thing up.
1: Okay, all right. Your turn. Grand Theft Auto 5 banned by Australian chain 2 to violence against women. I Ooh. think it was Target. Yes, it was Target. They banned Grand Theft Auto 5 because violence against women. Okay, look. I think I targeting think Kmart too. Women. Okay, I don't think violence against women is okay. Um, you you shouldn't be violent towards women. Women are equal and all that other stuff. But. Can I just point out that the story of Grand Theft Auto V is going around shooting people because you're a gangster and blowing up cops? There's violence against everybody yeah. in this game. Not exactly sure whether like, against the women is bad. Hold on, hold on. No, hold it's on. It's just senseless violence everywhere.
0: This, this is sexist. The fact that they've said that we're going to ban it because of violence against women is sexist. Because they're not even talking about the violence against the men. Man, that's just plain sexism right there.
1: Well, it kind of is. I mean, you blow up cops, murder innocent civilians who are driving to work, but violence against women. I was like, whoa, 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 let's just back up there. It's like, no, violence against women is not okay. Violence against any innocent person is not okay, which Grand Theft Auto is full of, but you know what else? It's video game. And people like killing people in a video game. And as long as they keep it to the video game and don't kill people and realize, who cares? I right, anyway, it's my video game rant of the week.
0: All right. Uh, this one's yours, but I'm going to read it. AT&T wants to know why a town is building a 16, no, a 1 gigabyte per second network when it already offers 6 megabytes per
1: second. Come what on. F- How is it their business? It's like, hey, uh, government, AT&T here. We've got some competition. We're just kind of wondering why people are competing with us. We're not really okay with that. Can you tell them to stop? Please? No, no AT&T. You offer better internet service or have a more uh, more competitive pricing plan if you don't want competition. You can't say that. Who, who, why? Why is this a thing? Why is anyone listening to AT&T? <laughs> uh, competing against us and we suck ass, so they might win. Shut up, AT&T! Moving have you been, on.
0: Have you been drinking?
1: No, it just pisses me off. <laughs> at are such bitches. I had some Earl Grey tea. I should be calm.
0: <sighs> well, then explain to me why we need laptops like this. Okay, do
1: we really need l- touch on laptops? No, no. We have never needed touch on laptops. Thank you, Tom's Hardware, because I've heard of that site before, for bringing this up. Touch on laptops it's stupid. A mouse is so much better. I mean, what are you going to do? Be playing uh, Borderlands and you tap the guy to shoot? No, this isn't a tablet. Tablets are stupid, too. This hey. isn't a phone, which is the only place. I know everyone loves tablets. And they're fine. They're fine. This isn't a phone where touch actually makes sense. And you know what? Touch actually makes sense on a tablet, too. You want to relax, watch some YouTube, play some video, play some like silly little games. That's fine. That's what a tablet's for. That's what a phone's for. That's why they have touch. Why do you need it on your laptop? It was such a 3D TV phenomenon where it's just stupid. You don't need it. You don't need it, but I don't have anything against it. Ah, if you want to put it on there, I'm not going to stop you, but I think it's going to fail.
0: Well, it's not a matter of failing or not. It's just a matter of, hey, we have an additional way to interact with the
1: media here, so, True, hey. True, but, but you have to spend more money. I think touch on laptop, touch laptops are going to, I think they're going out. All right. In a
0: couple of years. And the DOJ turns to a 225-year-old law to force either Apple or Google to unlock a password-protected smartphone.
1: Ugh. Yeah, this is that uh, (laughs) Law of Ritz thing. And it's like, I guess the point, uh, since we're not reading the whole thing, I think the point was sort of um, the manufacturer has a responsibility to unlock the phone. No, they don't. Just shut up. Shut up, government.
0: Well, you're just getting all sorts of happy these days, aren't you?
1: These last stories were a little depressing.
0: Well, give me this last one, because maybe it's not depressing.
1: It's not? I found one I liked. Tool-wielding crows are left or right beaked, and here's why. So basically, just like people, crows are left beaked or right beaked. So I'm crows... left beaked? Huh? I'm left beaked? I don't know. You what? said I'm left beaked or right beaked. I don't have a beak. No crows. Yeah, but you said just like people. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just like people have a hand dominance. Crows have a beak dominance. Crows are super smart and they can solve like eight step problems which is really impressive. They're as smart as a small child according to most like studies and stuff that they do. Now in crows unlike people it's actually probably their eye dominance. Just like in people crows have an eye dominance. One eye is usually stronger than the other. So they're probably just using the stronger eye so that they can see the tool they are using better, but I just think it's neat that there's a right beak, left beak dominance in crows. I love crows. They're so awesome.
0: All right, sir. Now is the time at the end of the show where I ask you a very important question. Where might I find you online?
1: At Rofaxon on Twitter, or the best place, just search Rofaxon channel on YouTube. I thought about looking into getting one of those custom URLs. Not because I need it, just because I was curious. Apparently, you need 500 subscribers. So, if you guys could get 498 people to subscribe to my channel, (laughs) that'd be
0: great. Wait, you only have one subscriber? I have two. Oh, more. Okay,
1: I'm one of the subscribers. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I know, and Slothin's probably the other one. Uh, But yeah, if you could just get the next 498 people to subscribe, I'm going to get a custom URL. Unless it's hard, then I won't. Um uh, but yeah, Rofax and Channel on YouTube. I'm putting out the Skyblock series every week. I I will always get at least one video a week. I'm trying to up that to two videos a week and currently I am putting out the um um Battleblock Theater videos and I may throw up a couple random ones. There's one on Perspective which is a great game. There's a couple other random things out there, so yeah, just just check it out. Uh, here, sloth and make Ponds are here. Detective Nine and myself play Blad- battle block theater. It's uh, it's good fun. Watch it. It's free. Nothing to lose.
0: And let's not forget the Google Plus Store or Google Play Store. Oh yeah, yeah. Rofax is there too. Because you can get that beard judging app, which is oh so important. Yes. All right. I'm trying to do some couple of things here. Anyway, I can be found as Lauren Law on Twitter and my enemy list, but I can be found everywhere else as Cure Studios, for example, on Twitter, Tumblr, and Google+. Thank you for listening to today's show. We welcome to visit our site at studiosgalaxy 15 radiocom where you can click on the Donate tab at the top of the page to give us a boost of moral support. Also, if you have any feedback or news for the show, please send an email to Studios at gmail.com. That is K-E-I-R-S-T-U-D-I-O-S at gmail.com. If you like our show, please subscribe, and just for funsies, let your friends and possibly family know of us by giving them
1: copies of our shows. How, Rofaxon, since you're the only one here. Yeah. Well, here's what you do. You just pull an AT&T, and you go to your local government, you're like, Um, I noticed that uh, the internet is competing against Tear Studios. I was wondering if you could just tell us why that was. Maybe open an investigation and tell them to stop. Ah, uh, at and is doing it, and as soon as Cure Studios is the only thing left on the internet, people will watch it. Yeah,
0: because they would be forced to, wouldn't they?
1: <laughs> yeah, just like at and trying God, that story pisses me off.
0: Alright, the opening song is Black Runners by Spleen, which can be found on Jamindo.com, and today's closing song is Transformers VIP by Take Fi, which can be found on SoundCloud.com. We leave you now to relax and think about the future of mankind 8675305 <laughs>